Hello and welcome to Hacked Off. This uh, episode will be this month's Month in Review. We're going to take a look back at something that I think was prominent from this month. So when I was preparing my notes for this podcast, I was looking through uh, different news stories that had come out over the last couple of months and trying to pick, you know, what would be the, the best one to talk about? And what do I think will have the, the longest term impact? And there's a few different stories that were that were worth uh, review. Uh, one of them was the uh, the fact that we're now seeing uh, facial mapping software being used alongside machine learning in job interviews. So during uh, job interviews, people are looking at the concept of essentially recording the interview and then using software to, to read facial expressions and using that within uh, the decision, uh, which is just mind-blowing uh, uh, area. I think a lot of people have looked at um, facial recognition software and, and the security implications there. Uh, but this is maybe just a, a different application of that that same or very similar technology. Another thing that's happened uh, this month, in fact, only a couple of days ago, is uh, a new, well, jailbreak being released for the iPhone, possibly. We've got uh, cybersecurity month taking place, a lot of awareness things happening. So what can we talk about? What do I think will will have the biggest impact? It's it's the iPhone thing that that I think is worth uh, a podcast unto itself. Uh, a new vulnerability has been released in a whole series of iPhones, and the vulnerability is um, quite significant. But there's been a lot of news articles covering it and, and what it means, what the actual implication to end users are. And since it only happened a couple of days, uh, a couple of days ago, I still think there'll be things developing in that area in, in terms of um, the long term effects. But the, the reason that I picked this is because one of the, the opening statements made about this vulnerability, this uh, vulnerability in iPhones, is that it is a permanent and unpatchable. So if we're taking the char characteristic of what will have the longest term impact, uh, I think that fact might lead to this being significant over the next few months and possibly over the next few years. But what does it actually mean? Well, a new vulnerability has been released in iPhones it was uh, effectively released on Twitter. Certainly for me, the, the earliest information that I saw was from the original uh, vulnerability finder, the, the author, who, who opened with epic jailbreak and permanent unpatchable boot ROM exploit. And then he goes on to clarify that this isn't really a jailbreak and permanent unpatchable means something quite specific in this context. But a lot of the news did put out there things like, oh, if you have an iPhone, there's an unpatchable vulnerability that would allow attackers to steal all of your personal data. And that isn't really true. Um, that There are some certain circumstances in which it could be, but for the average end user, it's, it's, it's not the doomsday scenario that those headlines may be put out there. So I want to try and add some context to this new issue, which has been called Checkmate. Uh, I have a horrendous accent, so some of you may pronounce that differently to how I do. But check M and the digit 8 if you are trying to search for this online and, and haven't seen this news just yet. Uh, but um, Checkmate is the name of the vulnerability. Because, of course, all vulnerabilities must have names, websites, and branding teams, or we won't believe that they are truly impactful. I think 
I think there's a whole podcast that I could do on the the branding, marketing, and naming of vulnerabilities. But this one was named Checkmate. Uh, it's a fairly cool name. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's impactful just because it has a name. Look at Bad Lock and, and how their response to that went down. But it's a, a very, very cool vulnerability in a very large number of iPhones, which I think will uh, be around for a long time. Like I say, it was it was released as Epic Jailbreak, but it isn't uh, unto itself a jailbreak. The original author just released the uh, boot ROM exploit. So it's not a jailbreak. You won't be able to uh, immediately just using this vulnerability install um, alt stores, install your own applications and those kinds of things. Um, uh, an interesting thing that the, the original author did note was uh, how he found the vulnerability, what, what led him to looking in that area, specifically around the boot ROM. And um, he pointed out the fact that it is likely a couple other researchers discovered this issue. It's easy to find and not trivial to exploit. So, so that's interesting. And I think it's a thing that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily consider. Uh, if a vulnerability is found, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only person who found it. Researchers can do kind of research collisions where they, they both find vulnerabilities at very similar times. Um, certainly, as this author is indicating in his opinion, or in their opinion, uh, the, the issue was, was fairly easy to find. Isn't a jailbreak, though. It's a, a boot ROM exploit, which allows you to effectively um, bypass the signing, which could lead to jailbreaking devices. And uh, a video was released on, on the 29th of September, so very, very recently, uh, that shows a jailbroken iPhone X. So, so this is uh, one step in that story towards um, jailbreaking devices. But the, the big problem with it, the, the, the reason why people shouldn't be uh, immediately concerned about the, this uh, new uh, jailbreak exploit uh, released for, for iPhones, for, for users who are concerned about things like their personal data, is that this is not uh, remotely exploitable. The author did also note that the uh, exploit is not perfectly reliable, but uh, that that's you know referring to, to his original exploit or their original exploit. And um, of course... Uh, that might be developed in the future. It, it, it might be as more people start working on this exploit, it becomes more reliable. So, that, so don't don't worry too much about that uh, exploit not perfectly reliable. Um, also, you, you may be able to perform uh, multiple attempts on the exploit as well. So it doesn't work the first time. You can you can try a couple of times until it works. But the, but the big thing is the fact that this is not a remotely exploitable uh, issue. It requires physical access to the device. You plug a cable into the device, and then that cable uh, generally into a computer, and, and the computer launches the attack. I, I caveat that with generally, because there has been a lot of talk of, of people developing uh, very small devices. You can almost think like bad USB devices where you can uh, plug this into the lightning port of an iPhone and, and uh, exploit the, the iPhone using this you know, very small uh, device. So, so that would be cool, certainly considering the fact that if you utilize this exploit to uh, impart to, to jailbreak uh, an iPhone, because it's a, a boot ROM um, exploit, when you reboot the phone, because the boot ROM itself is not modified and in fact can't be modified, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, um, it, it means when you reboot the phone, it, it goes back to the essentially stock iOS and it goes back to being, you know, un if, if that's the right way to, to phrase that. So it can't be remotely exploited and it, it doesn't have persistence. Uh, this vulnerability, Checkmate, doesn't have persistence. Uh, Checkmate could be used with other issues, uh, which which could allow for persistence. I, I haven't seen many ways in, in which that, that is uh, currently believed to be the case. Um, 
just just because of this fact that that boot ROM isn't isn't uh, itself modified. So any changes that you make to the um, iOS utilizing this vulnerability to get to get to the actual operating system itself would generally be uh, either reverted or make the device um, unstable uh, afterwards because boot ROM is is validating the uh, the way that the system boots up. So if you make uh, post system uh, changes, then the device the validation will fail. So not persistent, not remotely exploitable. Possibly could be changed with with other issues. This could just be a stepping stone for for other issues. But again, it's just it's just reducing the the likelihood of this being a major concern to most users and uh, things like exploitation on Macs. You know, it's um it's uh, not necessarily as bad as some of the initial headlines said. Uh, I, I did make that point though. Of course, of it, it could be used with other issues. It could also be used. Um, to assist researchers in finding other issues by, by giving them you know, more access to the device, by allowing them to, to jailbreak these devices, by allowing them to do things like JTAG these devices. Uh, it, could, it could lead to um, uh, more vulnerabilities coming out following this. Uh, and the original author uh, did tweet saying uh, that this vulnerability being available is better for researchers interested in Apple's bug bounty. They will not need to keep vulnerabilities on hand so that they have the access to, that they need. Um, and this is this is really interesting, not only in the context of iPhone vulnerabilities, but other system vulnerabilities, kind of pen testing vulnerabilities that you know that we see uh, doing professional pen testing services as we do here at Sakama. So um, why would a researcher keep vulnerabilities? That that's kind of the inference here. Um, they will not need to keep vulnerabilities on hand so they have the access that they need. When you're analyzing a system and you're you're trying to find a deep complex vulnerabilities, the better visibility you can get of that system, the easier that research will be. Or in some cases, if you can't get that visibility, you just won't feasibly be able to find those vulnerabilities. So this researcher appears to be implying that uh, people who are interested in Apple's bug bounty program or compromising iPhones in general may keep back, as in not release, either to Apple, to the public, or sell as exploits certain vulnerabilities that will allow them to to gain uh, this visibility, this access that they would need to find future vulnerabilities. I tried to think of a good example of this in kind of traditional pen testing. So if people aren't so deep on the whole Apple bug bounty and iPhone stuff, maybe they would understand this. Uh, and the example that I could think of would be if you're doing a pen test of a web application and it's completely black box, you're given no information about the system at all other than just a URL, go and hack this and see what you find. If that system is storing passwords in the database in plain text, as in it's not protecting them through um, hashing, cryptographic one-way functions, that kind of thing, um, you wouldn't necessarily be able to determine that fact. Although it is a security weakness, and it's hopefully a well-known weakness now, you might not necessarily be able to determine that fact unless you can gain or utilize another vulnerability that allows you that visibility. So if you find a SQL injection vulnerability where you can dump contents from the database and the contents that come out of the database are in plain text, you can report those two vulnerabilities. But if you didn't have that initial leverage in this example, the initial SQL injection vulnerability, you wouldn't find the second vulnerability. Now, the the reason that this is this is critically important for people who don't work for Apple or don't use iPhones and still having this, this thought process around how security testing works is... Some companies, when we do pen testing services for them, want to find out about vulnerabilities immediately so they can immediately fix them. And it's it's this balance of 
Of course, we don't want to hold vulnerabilities back during pen testing engagements because that would be leaving the company open to a vulnerability for longer that, that could be fixed. But that vulnerability may be allowing you the leverage or the visibility to, to look further into that system and find more things. And this is just a weakness, not only of uh, security testing professionally, but just like what real world attackers would face. Getting that visibility is is important to get the depth that you that you might want. So it's a thing to consider if you are doing pen testing and every time the pen tester finds a vulnerability, you're saying, stop all testing until we fix this issue. And then they're moving on to the next, trying to find the next vulnerability. You'll only be getting a, a surface assessment there. They'll only be looking at very surface level vulnerabilities. If there's anything deeper than that, they won't necessarily be getting the visibility because you're artificially restricting them. If they find a vulnerability, they should be able to leverage that to find more uh, vulnerabilities. Uh, and really, this is the common distinction between vulnerability assessment and penetration test. In a penetration test, we would expect to be able to, where possible, safely exploit vulnerabilities to find more issues. So if that's how you're running pen tests, if you're stopping testing or, or immediately uh, making changes to the environment, fixing issues, um, just consider in the wider context how that uh, impacts testing. If you want to get around that problem in a balanced way, it might be simply that the pen tester can test in a staging environment and then you make the fixes in uh, a different environment. So, so we, we have a testing environment and then you have a kind of... Uh, environment where you're where you're developing those fixes so you can do that independently of our of our research without you know causing us problems or having to get us to stop testing those kinds of things um this also this this phrase of uh, it's better for researchers interested in apple's bug bounty that i mentioned earlier it, it does get us onto the point of apple does have a bug bounty for vulnerabilities in their products um there, there are uh a lot a lot uh, there's a lot of information out there about uh, the value of vulnerabilities. Um, if you find a vulnerability that's in a bug bounty, very often that that company will, will give you money for that vulnerability as a kind of a paper vulnerability security model. So Apple has a bug bounty. But there's other organizations out there that will will pay you for those vulnerabilities as well. So this this being able to allow attackers to find more issues might allow more vulnerabilities to either become public, to be disclosed to Apple, or to be disclosed to these companies who buy vulnerabilities to sell, sell to third parties. Um, examples of organizations like this, uh, Grayshift, Zerodium, those kinds of organizations. I think Zerodium is, is very well known in this space for, for buying and selling vulnerabilities, no doubt. I've mentioned them on this podcast before. Um, but they're, they're worth pointing out again in this context just because uh, recently, Zerodium has in fact changed the prices that they will pay for vulnerabilities in iOS. And I think this is quite a dramatic change. Um, but just uh, on that, if you haven't listened to that, those previous podcasts, if you haven't come across this context before, um, some companies will, will buy vulnerabilities from you if you find them so that they can sell to third parties. Those third parties very often include three-letter acronym organizations like the NSA, organizations like GCHQ. Um, so that they can, you know, monetize them. It's part of their business model. And and those third parties can use those vulnerabilities for the things that the NSA holds vulnerabilities for. Tailored access operations, those kinds of things. So uh, I mentioned that Zerodium changed their price list. If you haven't looked at Zerodium's price list for vulnerabilities of this nature, vulnerabilities that allow you to compromise devices, it's worth looking at. I think some people uh, will jump on the, the highest prices and they'll go, uh, what's the most valuable vulnerability that you could possibly find? Uh, well, one of them is a FCP in um, 
Android, FCP and Android is worth $2.5 million, which is a huge amount of money. A vulnerability that allows you full chain with persistence, FCP. Um, for those who haven't heard that term before, the ability to remotely compromise a device without the user becoming aware of that, as in they don't need to click a link in, a, in an SMS message, they don't need to visit a web page or anything like that. And it's persistent, as in if the user reboots their device, then uh, the, the device is still compromised. $2.5 million. It's a, a huge, huge amount of money. Why would some researchers uh, consider sending vulnerabilities to a company like Zerodium instead of a company like Apple? Um, or Google or Samsung on the, the Android side of things? Uh, the money's higher, right? What are Apple offering you? What is Zerodium offering you? Some people might just take the highest bid. Uh, to compare, though, uh, FCP in uh, Android, $2.5 million. FCP in iOS at the moment, uh, I believe, is $500,000, so significantly lower. And previously, iOS was the higher of the two, and now it's significantly the lower of the two. So it's just, just interesting. And this is variations in the exploitation market, variations in vulnerability availability. If there is a series of iOS vulnerabilities that are available, it's going to drive the price down. And, and that is uh, possibly one of the things that's led Zerodium to this change. It's not just iOS and Android, though, if you if you haven't looked at that before. I pulled up an, another example. Um, WhatsApp RCE LP with no ZC is uh, $1.5 million. What, what do all of those letters mean? A remote code execution with local privilege escalation, which doesn't necessarily require a zero click. That is, a user may receive a message and, uh, you know, click a link in a message or... Um, visit a website and it, and it compromises their, their device through WhatsApp somehow. Uh, that's $1.5 million. So that's another huge vulnerability. And there's, there's a whole price list on Zerodium's website for uh, the kinds of systems that they target and what level of access you would need. Because, of course, if you don't have a full chain with persistence in Android to get the $2.5 million, but you have a piece of that chain, they, they might buy that for a lower price. So really interesting area. But this leads on to that persistence thing. And as I mentioned earlier, it appears that the, the checkmate vulnerability, this new vulnerability in iPhones, uh, is non-persistent. Because it doesn't modify the boot ROM, one of the things that uh, seems to be the case is if you reboot the device, it goes back to how it was. So if some people are concerned that their device may have been compromised in this way, which would require an attacker to have unattended physical access to your device, rebooting the device seems to restore it to the previous step, or I'll certainly reveal the fact that it was compromised if it no longer boots. For the most part, or certainly the uh, jailbroken iPhone X that, that was shown on video, if you boot the device whilst tethered to the uh, the vulnerability, vulnerability exploiting system, be that a little USB or be that a computer, then it jailbreaks it. If you reboot the system, then it's just un-jailbroken. So it, it, it essentially reverts back to, to how it was. It, it doesn't load the um, the the compromised code. So um, definitely a cool vulnerability, not necessarily the kind of vulnerability that, that major users would need to be concerned about. Is there ways that you could see this being utilized, um, certainly in targeted attacks against certain, uh, you know, high profile um, targets? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, the so-called uh, evil maid attack is, is a thing that might be, might be a method of doing it. If you haven't heard the, the evil med attack before, it, it generally refers to the concept of, you know, if you leave your mobile phone in the in a hotel and you go out for the day and, uh, you know, the, the room cleaning 
they, they come in, they, they tidy up, they would have, you know, access to your device in, uh, you know, an, an unattended fashion. They could they could maybe tamper with your device. Um, so maybe some people would think, oh, I would I would never make that that mistake. I would never leave my iPhone just in a hotel room. I, of course, would lock it in the safe that the hotel provided you with. So, yes, there are some cases, some instances where this may be used. There's also the idea of things like, um, can you get a very small device that can fit in an iPhone case where you could fit it onto the, the user's device without them necessarily noticing? Th those kinds of things are, are certainly unlikely. Useful from the jailbreaking community's point of view, though, if you um, if you have this, this caveat where when you reboot the device, it's suddenly on jailbroken, you've suddenly lost this benefit. But you could build a device that fits in your case. Uh, that's super convenient. So useful from the jailbreaking uh, point of view. Not so useful from the exploitation point of view. Final final caveat on this is um, when an attacker exploits this vulnerability, this checkmate vulnerability, boot ROM issue, uh, what does that actually give them access to? On, uh, well, oh gosh, where to start? So this issue doesn't affect uh, the more recent iPhones. It doesn't, for example, affect the iPhone XS, which runs the A12 chip. It affects the A11 and back. Uh, A11 to A5 chips, this specific issue uh, affects it, if I remember correctly. So if you've got an XS, this one doesn't uh, affect you. It was, it was fixed in that release. Uh, but if you've got an iPhone 10, then it, it does affect you. How does it affect you? Well, um, post iPhone 5C, uh, up to, so you know, you know your 6s, up to your 10s, um, they have Secure Enclave. Uh, and Secure Enclave is a really interesting area uh, a really interesting security aspect of iPhones, which essentially means that your data would not be compromised because your data is encrypted and the encryption keys are stored on the secure enclave and Checkmate does not impact the secure enclave. So again, minimizes the, the impact. Doesn't mean an attacker couldn't leverage this. If we're looking back at that evil maid attack, how could we leverage this for some kind of attack? Could with physical access to the device, jailbreak the device, install a malicious app, the user could interact with that app and, and disclose some sensitive information, disclosing passwords, disclosing access, something like that. Uh, but it isn't just that you get five minutes left alone with an iPhone and you can pull data off it. Other than the 5C, the 5, the 4S, uh, those ones that don't have the secure enclave, the data would be compromised in that way. If you're using an iPhone 4S, I would be curious as to how that fits within your threat model where you don't already worry that it would be compromised if, if left alone. Uh, th that's uh, certainly an older generation device now. Uh, and I know that counterpoint to that would be uh, talking around publicly available exploits for these, the fours, the fives. But the, there's, you know, just because an exploit isn't publicly available doesn't mean it's not uh, available to certain uh, threat groups, certain threat actors. And, and as the, the uh, author of Checkmate, uh, stated, you know, they found this issue. It doesn't mean that other people haven't found this issue as well. So a lot of caveats thrown around. Is it something you should be concerned about? Generally, if you are a uh, low priority target, if you're not the, uh, an interesting uh, person and you're unlikely to be specifically targeted by someone who would aim to gain physical access to the device and you have a device that has a secure enclave, so most people, not such a big deal. If anything, for most people, this is just interesting because it allows for jailbreaking of those modern devices, a, a cool thing. Like I said, the iPhone X being uh, demonstrably jailbroken. 
Um, if you are in one of those threat groups where maybe an evil med attack or something like that, a target attack is, is more likely, or if you're concerned of things like law enforcement leveraging these issues, so, you know, you get arrested, and, and whilst you're arrested, they're able to tamper with your devices, then then certainly it's, it's a thing to consider. But that caveat on the secure enclave there is certainly interesting. Whew. Anyway, I think that's enough ranting about iPhones. It's a cool vulnerability. You definitely should check it out. It, it's an interesting area to research for um, how iPhone's uh, security differs to Android, um, how iPhone security leads into the bug bounty market and companies like Zerodium. Uh, a super interesting area of security, but I'll leave it there for this month in review. And uh, what do I want to hear from you guys? I always like to ask the audience a question. Um, I'm curious what what level of confidence you have in mobile devices. Personally, I generally take the line of as long as I am physically in control of my device, then I'm generally safe. You know, uh, local exploits being more common than remote exploits is kind of where I'm drawing drawing the line there. Um, but do you guys, do you think that uh, mobile devices can be trusted or are you uh, a, a Luddite in that context and just like, nope, can't trust mobile devices uh, for anything? Let us know over social media. I'd be very, very interested to, to understand kind of the, the wider context of how much people trust these devices and how much you are worried about vulnerabilities like Checkmate. Thanks for listening. Thank you.